0: Now for something completely different. Forget everything you've been told by others before. Get ready for the real deal. The full story. Real talk about money. Markets. Life. Now. It's The Real Investment Show with Lance Roberts. Presented by RIA Advisors. And good morning and welcome to the show. It's the middle of November already. That means that uh, Thanksgiving is right around the corner. Is it next Thursday? Next week, Thanksgiving. I'm not even ready yet. I have I have not put out all of my Christmas decorations <laughs> yet. Yeah. My wife and I are fighting about this right now. Every year, Every year. turkeys first, then Christmas. But I, I gotta admit, I'm losing the battle because my entire neighborhood has already got their Christmas lights up. Oh, yeah. 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 So I mean, it's just you know, I'm trying to preserve turkey day, right? I mean, you've got to, you know, we just need to give it a little bit of respect. Put a turkey in your front yard, something, right? Pumpkin, something, you know, poor things are sacrificing their life to dress your dinner table and you won't even put a decoration up for them. Shame on you. Shame on you. Anyway, uh, but yeah, Thanksgiving is next week. So a couple of things for the markets. Okay. So first of all, we have CPI out tomorrow. That'll be the Uh, Next look at the inflation read, Jerome Powell had that read already last week. Obviously not a lot of concern there, but probably from his statement, uh, CPI reports probably in line with expectations. So probably about a a 0.2% increase. Uh, for the month. So that's would be my kind of guesstimate from what he said kind of last week in his speech, which is, hey, we're still paying, you know, we're, you know, it's moving in our right direction, but we're still paying very attention to it. Leave that rate hike out, uh, that rate hike out there. So, um, you know, likely going to see an infl- inline inflation report. Then we have PPI out on Wednesday. Jerome Powell seen that one also. So probably not a lot of surprises from inflation this week. Um, And then, of course, next week is a holiday-shortened week. We've got the markets closed on Thursday, half a day on Friday. So, again, it's going to be a a very kind of sloppy few days here, most likely. We'll get through this week. Next week will be a little bit iffy because most people will be gone most of the week. And then, of course, we have Black Friday, which actually started six weeks ago. But Black, (laughs) Black Friday is on Friday. And, and of course, that comes from, you know, the idea that retailers get back into the black. Uh, for the year because of all the post-Thanksgiving holiday shopping that that starts theoretically at 9 a.m. on Friday morning and goes until the stores close, 9 to 9, theoretically. Uh, That was what Black Friday was. Um, But now we count the last six weeks of Black Friday sales and next Friday all as one day. So, you know, we'll probably have a pretty good Black Friday sale because of that, and we'll see some decent retail numbers. Uh, The thing to look for, though, in that is, has the resumption this is the one question everybody has has the resumption of student loan payments started to eat into spending right and we're going to see that we're going to very when we get past thanksgiving uh, probably around that first week of december we'll start getting a lot of the data in from all the retail stores and so we'll have a pretty good idea of whether or not those student loan payments are starting to kick into retail spending or not. That will give us a decent look at maybe what Christmas is going to look like in terms of a shopping season as well. Um, But then, of course, we've got the year-end window dressing last week of December, and then we're going to get into 2024. And we'll soon be writing our outlook for 2024 on the website. Um, And something we'll kind of touch on a little bit today, uh, just kind of looking forward as to there's, you know, it's, it's a very strange environment, right? Uh, yields have been dropping over the last, you know, week or so um, as people are starting to kind of think about recession uh, next year. But then yet you've got a lot of the mainstream Wall Street economists saying, hey, no recession next year. We're going to have a falling inflation, full employment environment, right? So that's not stagflation, by the way. That was, you know, big fear last year. Everybody was like, you know, we're have stagflation, you know, low unemployment and high inflation. And, and now we're saying, well, we'll have full employment, but we'll have low inflation. So I, I don't know how to make anything out of that. But, uh, you know, the expectation is right now is that the economy will avoid a recession next year, um, despite the fact that you have a lot of indicators that suggest it won't. So, you know, will it, won't it, who knows. Uh, Nobody knows for sure. Uh, What we do know is is that in 2022, everybody expected a recession and we didn't have one. And then in 2023 now, nobody expects a recession. So maybe in 2024, we can actually have one. I don't know how this is going to work out. It doesn't really matter how it works out. Uh, We'll have to deal with it as it comes. But markets will start to sniff some of this out here sooner than later. Um, but here's what you need to know before the bell this morning. Friday had a very, very good move in the market. It started out a little bit weak Friday morning, um, and that kind of followed that kind of uh, Thursday sell-off that we had last week, and then Friday uh, just kind of really the, the, the uh, market came down, retested the 50-day moving average. Now, you remember last week we had said we had had this very strong rally and we needed a bit of a pullback, and a pullback to support would be a good buying opportunity It was. Um, Touched the 50-day moving average on Friday, Thursday, and on Friday, touched it again and then rocketed off of it and then cleared the 100-day moving average. So, again, just a very, very strong day on Friday really across the board. Uh, MACD buy signal still in place here, suggesting there's still room for this market to move a bit higher, at least uh, near term. Market is a little bit oversold, so again, a little bit of stalling here. Uh, Certainly would not be surprising at all. Uh, markets are going to open a little bit weak this morning, but, but that's how we opened on Friday and then turned around. So we'll see if that happens again today. Um, but again, this 50-day moving average is now going to be the support that markets need to kind of hold on to. So again, over the, over the course of this week, we get a little bit of sloppiness. Wouldn't be surprising to see this market try to pull back a little bit. Again, very extended, very fast move. We're up over 7% on the NASDAQ just for the month of November, and we're only halfway through the month. So very, very big move. Um, but since this bottom here, we've had a very sharp uh, rise in the market, uh, which was the end of October. And that's, that's all doing well. And again, something that we had expected to happen. You know, we talked about how negatively uh, this market had gotten sentiment-wise uh, on, you know, as we were kind of approaching that bottom in October, suggesting that a rally was likely. And here we've had this rally. So again, let's go back to what we said before. Use the rally now. So, you know, if you were down here at the bottom and really stressing over your portfolio, use this rally to rebalance some risk. That's what we were doing last week. We did some tax loss selling on some positions, uh, starting to reposition the portfolio, looking for a bit of a pullback here, some sloppiness week to add some new positions to the portfolio that we want heading into year end. So again, use this as an opportunity to rebalance that portfolio, restructure your risk profile as you, as you need, right? Uh, if you need to add equity exposure, be a little cautious doing it here. Markets are a little bit overbought here. So again, look for small pullbacks. Again, they're gonna be short-lived most likely through the end of this year. So, you know, you may get a one-day sell-off in the market. Use those sell-offs as an opportunity to add, you know, uh, add exposure as needed to your portfolio. So look for pullbacks to support to add exposure because we are overbought, but we're in a very seasonally strong period of the year, and particularly as we move past Thanksgiving. And again, markets tend to be weak heading into Thanksgiving. They tend to be strong coming out of Thanksgiving holiday. So again, over the course of the next week, might have an opportunity to add some exposure. Um, and then we'll move into December where we get into the Santa Claus rally at the end of the month. So uh, again, you know, just kind of look at your portfolio, see what you're doing. There's nothing wrong with the markets right now. Everything is kind of set up technically just the way you want to see it. We've cleared important resistance here. We've cleared all these moving averages clearly back into a bullish trend at the moment. And a lot of short covering still needs to get done if this market keeps pushing higher. So there's plenty of fuel for that that's what you need to know before the bell this morning when we come back from the break we will kind of look at you know kind of some of these recession risks this recession talk for next year um how valid is it right we'll, we'll get into some of the talk uh this morning uh, right here after the break real investment show that's the website our newsletter is out and make sure that you uh also subscribe and like this podcast we appreciate it we'll be right back after the break don't go away Investment Show. And welcome back to the Monday edition of the Real Investment Show. Brent's over here having stuff fall off of him. So uh, a couple things. First of all, before we talk a little bit about kind of the Outlook heading into next year. Uh, Coming up, we have another (laughs) spending issue. (laughs) You know, remember, we just had this, uh, you know, we had the debt ceiling debate back in June, July. And, you know, it was that end of the world moment. Remember this? You know, everybody was like, oh, you know, we're going to have to issue all this debt and it's going to be terrible. And we're going to default on our debt if we don't raise the debt ceiling, blah, blah, blah. And I told you then it's not the case. And we're not going to default. And of course, we didn't got the debt ceiling passed. Then we had the budget debate. And as has become the norm in Washington, D.C., and it's unfortunate this is the norm, we no longer pass a budget. And since we no longer pass a budget and can't agree on a budget, all we do is pass these continuing resolutions, which have caused the problem of more and more and more spending. Because, again, <clears throat> the difference between a budget and a continuing resolution is, is a budget says, okay, we have X amount of money to spend. This is how we're going to spend it. And we're going to cut back spending in these areas. And we're going to increase some spending in these areas, whatever it is. But with a budget, you try to stay within some frames. So if you want to actually try to cut spending, right, which has uh, become a much more common topic as of late, um, then you got to have a budget for that, right? Continuing resolutions don't do that, and this is why you always hear these terms. Oh, we got to pass a clean CR, right? CR is continuing resolution. So you'll hear this a lot in the media, and then it says, well, you know, the debate's over whether or not it's a clean CR. So all that means is is, is just you just kind of stroke a blank check, and and what a continuing resolution does, and this is the important thing about it, right? They say, well, we're just you know, the the statement is always this. Well, all we're doing is passing a resolution to cover the spending that we've already agreed to last year. Okay, partially true. What they don't tell you is that it includes an 8% increase every time they do this. So when we pass these continuing resolutions from last year and then we pass another one, you know, so here it is. It's the fiscal 2024 spending year. Um, and so we're going to pass this new resolution. So, yeah, well, we've already agreed to these in the budget. You know, yeah, eight, you know, passed, you know, those are agreed to in the budget in 2008 when we last passed a budget. Since then, all we've done is continuing resolutions, which all it does is say, yeah, we're going to fund those programs plus 8%. And so this is why spending keeps continuing to increase because we don't actually pass a budget. Right. So we're up on this debate again. We just did this. 45 days ago, and this was, of course, you know, when um, we got the debt downgrade then. Well, over the week, over Friday, Moody's put the U.S. debt on a negative watch. And by the way, these mean nothing. These are grandstanding by these rating agencies. The ratings mean nothing relative to the U.S. debt. I mean, if you're going to downgrade the debt, right, you don't put a AAA rating on a negative watch. All that's saying is that's the same as when I was raising my kids and every every parent has done this at one point or the other. Johnny, if you don't do this, I'm going to do this. And you have no intention of ever doing that. <laughs> you know, you just used the threat. But you know you're never going to follow through with it, right? Johnny, if you don't do this, we're not going on the trip. Well, you've already paid for the trip. You know you're going, right? It's just that's what the parents do. And this is all Moody's trying to be is trying to be a parent in the room, which I applaud them for that by trying to scare politicians into doing something, I guess, by threatening that they're going to put it on the negative watch, right? So if if you don't get your spending under control at some unspecified time frame, in the future, we're going to potentially downgrade the debt. Downgrade it. It doesn't make any difference. You can make you could make the U.S. Treasury A-rated, and it won't make any difference because, again, there's no place else to store currency. If you had alternatives, it would matter, right? If China was a AAA-rated bond that you wanted to store money in, <laughs> then you might have an argument, but there's nowhere else. So it doesn't matter what you rate it. But you know we'll we'll give you know we'll give Moody's uh, the the applause for being the parent in the room or at least trying to be with an idle threat. But nonetheless, we're back up on the spending issue, and so now we're trying to pass two continuing resolutions to get the spending covered. One is clean, and then one is going to try to have some other funding in it for Israel or you know Ukraine, whatever. Right. So the first part, they're trying to. Mount this two pronged approach. Nobody's and, and the Democrats aren't going to buy this, by the way. They're going to fight this because they want the spending for Ukraine. Um, so they'll fight this and Biden will, will probably fight it as well, because that leaves too much open to potentially not getting what they want. Right. So, again, I, I think this this attempt at two bills will probably fail and we'll get right up to the 12th hour and we'll have a, one continuing resolution for. Another forty-five days, right? We're really- and, and we're going to just kind of keep pushing up on this period every forty-five days until somebody can come to an agreement to just say, oh, "Okay, we're just going to fund it past the election, and we'll worry about it, you know, next cycle." But that's this. This is going to be the headline of the debate over the next few days, right? So you're going to see a lot of headlines uh, over the over how dire the situation is. It's not dire. You'll see a lot of media uh, personalities come out. They'll talk about the the end-of-the-world scenarios that come from this. You know, if if they don't do this, we're going to shut the government down. It's going to be terrible, and, you know, we're going to, you know, blah, 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 blah. It's, It's not. We could use a really good government shutdown that lasted 45, 90 days. Maybe bring some sanity back into Washington. Don't know. I don't hold my breath for it. But anyway, just be careful with headlines. Um, In most cases they are just that, just media headlines. Be real careful of people you're listening to on YouTube channels and those type of things. Because you're going to get a lot of really off the rail, end of the world type stuff that's not going to happen. We've been doing this since 2008. Since President Obama took office, we have not had a budget. This is not a new thing. It's new today because it makes headlines. It's not new. We've been doing this since 2008, right? 12, 13 years now, we've been doing this very same thing. So, hard to believe (laughs) we've been doing this nonsense for that long, but there we go. I was watching this. uh, My wife and I were watching this show last night on Netflix. It was the 60th anniversary of the improv, and they had these comedians that were coming up. They had like 10 comedians, 10 10 of the most – you know, kind of popular comedians today. And in between segments, if you want to feel really old, if you're my age and you want to feel really old, watch the 60th anniversary of improv. Because the the comedians, I was a little disappointed in the actual comedians. They weren't that funny. But in between comedians, they would play segments from the improv, previously of famous comedians that went through that. Ray Romano. Uh, Sarah Silverman, um, David Spade. And (laughs) when you're watching these, (laughs) they are so young. (laughs) They are very, they're they're babies. And it's like 1994. (laughs) And so you're going, man, I am just that old. This was 30 years ago that, you know, 1989 for David Spade. But you know Ray Romano, 1994, he's a baby on stage at the Improv, has not even hit his stride as a comedian yet, and you want to feel really old. Watch the 60th anniversary of the Improv. If you don't want to feel old, don't watch it. <laughs> and they were funny. And they were funny. Yeah, they were very funny. And they were clean, right? Because back then you couldn't. Yeah. yeah, you couldn't do that stuff. So they had very clean comedy, and it was uh, it was just it was just funny stuff. Anyway, if you want to feel old, watch that. That'll that'll put some age on you really quick. If you want to see really funny comedians and you're young, watch the 60th anniversary at the improv. You'll see what real comedy is about, <laughs> not what you get today, that's for sure. Um anyway, so uh, when we come back from the break, um, you know, we'll kind of get into this 2024 market outlook, and and, and there's some very important things that are happening now that are going to impact that. And again, you know, one of the issues that you know we keep wrestling with, um, myself included, is this whole conversation around recession. It seems evident that we're going to have a recession. You know, tighter monetary policy and and you know the the impact of inflation and these type of things that are going on. It seems almost inevitable. How can you avoid a recession? But yet we just keep kind of grinding along, right? And. So is, is the possibility of a recession really off the table? Markets, uh, you know, kind of seem to think so. We've had a very strong year in the financial market, certainly not what you would kind of think you would get if the economy's heading into recession. But, you know, reality is, is that's not that uncommon. But, you know, as we look into the next year, you know, could, could that be the year of the recession or is it going to be delayed even longer? I mean, maybe are we talking about 2025, as potential for the next recession or even longer right what if we somehow avoid a recession and the economy can get back on track it's gonna require a lot right but it is possible we'll talk about when we come back from the break don't go away Advice blog. It's required reading for the informed investor. Catch it today at realinvestmentadvice.com. And welcome back to the show this morning. So let's talk a little bit about 2024. Assuming we can make it past the uh, budget debate situation this week without the world imploding, let's talk about 2024. Um, so most economists right now, a large majority of them. Uh, so let let's go back. We have to step back to 2022 for a second. Large majority. We were talking about this on the show at the time. You know, large majority of economists back then were expecting a recession, and we said. Too many people are expecting a recession. Can't have one. You know, everybody, literally everybody was expecting a recession. We're like, can't have one. You know, if when all experts agree, something else tends to happen. Well, now all experts now agree we're going to avoid a recession. And there's certainly some potential for that. I don't want to say that they're wrong just because everybody says we're not going to have a recession. In fact, the call of having no recession is a much safer bet than trying to say there is a recession coming. Right, uh, because most of the time the economy is growing. You have very brief moments of recession. So there's certainly some support for the no recession scenario. Considering a, we just had a recession in 2020. Yes, it was artificial, it was man-made, etc. But it was still a recession, and so we had the unwinding that occurs during a recession. Now, not in the stock market, because we never really reverted valuation so I'm not talking about the market here I'm talking about the economy that's a different story 2020 we did have the impact of a recession right we you know had surging unemployment you had a massive drop in inflation you had you know uh, you know consumers were basically shut in so everything that you would expect to happen during a recession happened and then we opened the economy back up and We've now hired people back. And so, you know, the one thing that everybody keeps kind of hoping or expecting is, is that we're going to have this recession from higher rates and it's going to lead to this big surge in unemployment. That may not be the case. We've said this on the show a few times is that the reason that we may not have surging unemployment is because we never really overhire people. You know, during a during a long expansionary phase in the economy, we hire more people than we really should hire. Right. We kind of get a little bit lazy. And, you know, like, ah, we'll we'll hire some guy to do that. Right. And so we hire this person to do this or that, whatever it is, because sales are good. Right. We've got plenty of money coming in. We see demand. And so we're always kind of staffing up for this continued growth and demand, whatever it is or whatever my product or service is. We just kind of we we get into this habit where we think that that's never going to end. So we just kind of keep this hiring trend going. And we wind up getting, and 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 often we wind up getting kind of overly weighted in employment, and that's a big, that's one of our biggest drags on profitability. So that's okay as long as everything's growing, right? But when you've gone through a long period of expansion and you've been hiring people on a consistent basis to meet, you know, kind of keep up with this expanding demand. Again, you know, we, we have people that can do the job of two people, but we hire two people, right? And so when you get into the economic slowdown and that demand is no longer available, well, then we start going through our, our payrolls and we start saying, well, you know, we've got Jimmy and Bob over here doing, you know, this job and Jimmy can do it. And over here we have Sarah and Alan doing this job and Sarah can do it by herself. We don't really need Alan. He's not that great of an employee anyway. And so we start laying people off. And as the recession and that, that kind of keyholes, that as we're laying people off, then people have less money to spend and there's concern about jobs and job security. So people start spending less money. And that's how the recession occurs. Remember, the recession is about supply and demand. Demand drops, too much supply, you have recessionary growth right? It's not, unemployment is not the recession, right? Unemployment is what causes the recession because people stop buying as much stuff. So we could get into 2024, right? And we could certainly see a slowdown in consumption because of Higher interest rates, higher cost, cost of living definitely higher. Uh, wage growth is slowing. Student loan payments restarting, etc., which is extracting more capital from the household budget. Higher interest costs on credit cards, etc., ex- extracting more money of disposable income. So you could certainly see the slowdown in demand, but. Because we didn't really overhire, all we've done is just put people back to work over the course of the last couple of years. And remember, we laid off half the workforce in 2020. Over the last two years, yes, we've hired those people back mostly. We've done a lot of hiring in the hospitality, leisure kind of restaurant space. But I can tell you from the latest service I've gotten at restaurants, they didn't (laughs) overhire. Speaking of, I'll have to tell you my story of DoorDash over the weekend. But, you know, that's why we could see this situation where we do have a slowdown in demand, but we don't have a big surge in unemployment. That's going to be a bit confusing here for a lot of people that are expecting this kind of deep recession, Everybody's going to lose their jobs. It's going to be terrible type scenario because that's probably not going to happen. And again, you know, there's, there's some evidence that supports this idea that we're not overly employed. So companies are kind of running lean and mean already. They didn't, you know, we saw some layoffs and stuff in tech. So during 21 and 22, when tech was really booming, we did see a lot of hiring there. And we've seen companies like Meta and Google and others laying off employees, and that was kind of the, the headlines in 2022. It was like, "Oh, the big recession's coming! Look at all the layoffs." That's kind of cooled down a good bit. They they kind of shed off some of that excess employment they had, but a lot of manufacturing and service economy uh, companies they didn't really have that big ramp up in hiring. So we could see an environment. Where we don't have a big surge in employment. Maybe unemployment does go to three and a half, four, four and a half percent, but maybe unemployment is that. It's not eight, nine, 10 percent like some people are expecting. And if, if we have that environment where you do have a small uptick in unemployment, but nothing dramatic, people don't experience a lot of job losses. They don't lose a lot of confidence in the job market. In other words, they don't become overly concerned about the, them losing their job. Then maybe you do have an economy that that slows down markedly because of higher interest rates, inflation, et cetera, but maybe only slightly dips into, quote, unquote, a recession, a contractionary environment, maybe. And I'm not not making the case that 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 is what's going to happen. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is, is there's a lot of commentary out there talking about this big recession that's coming and it's going to be terrible and it's going to wipe out everything. There's an argument to be made that that may not be the case. Now, I have a hard time being in the camp of no recession entirely. Right, just a complete avoidance of recession. There's there's a good bit of economic or a good bit of economists out there that are saying, well, we're not even going to have a recession. We'll just be kind of you know one and a half two percent growth next year, and then we're off to the races. And earnings are going to expand. we we'll be at all time you know all time you know earnings just troughed in the fourth quarter of 2023 uh, three, or 20, tw- third quarter of 2023. That was the earnings trough, and it's all up from here. Right? Earnings are just going to start growing. Well, you know the problem with that thesis is that you still have to deal with higher inflation, higher interest rates, tighter monetary policy, those type of things. And if you are going to have an expanding economy and growing earnings and all this, that means there's a lot of demand in the market. And if there's a lot of demand in the market, that means that prices are going to stay up, which means the Fed is going to have to keep rates higher for even longer. Which kind of flies in the face of this analysis because what these, what these economists, like the guys at Morgan Stanley's example, they're saying, well, <clears throat> the economy's going to do just fine. We're going to have this slow growth environment. It's all going to be good. Earnings are going to grow like crazy next year, which means you've got to have economic growth in order for earnings to grow, right? I mean, that, those two have to go together. And the Fed will start cutting rates at the end of next year. Well, why? If if everything's doing fine, the economy's growing and earnings are growing and and nobody's losing their job and everything's good, why would the Fed cut rates? There's there's no reason for that. The Fed would just say, okay, we'll just leave them here until we do need to cut them. So I have a, I have a little bit of trouble being in that camp. I. And, and my point to you, though, is is I want you to be careful of being in this other camp over here, this deep recession. The Fed's going to have to slash rates because we have a financial crisis. That's possible. And we've talked about that here on the show. Is that that's what we, you know? Some type of financial event is what would cause the Fed to cut rates. But we also have to kind of look at this middle scenario where things slow down. The Fed does have to ease policy a bit, but we don't have this deep, nasty recession that everybody's kind of expecting next year. We have to give that a little bit of weight in, in, in the portfolios. Again, nobody knows, and this is the key part. <clears throat> this is the key part. Nobody knows. We just have to analyze these possibilities and probabilities. Again, you know, we talked about tail events on the show a couple of weeks ago. We have to analyze these possibilities and probabilities and try to come up with the best thesis of managing money next year. All right, quick break. Be right back. Don't go away. Get daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the Internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. interesting experience Uh, my daughter came over to uh, visit this weekend and uh, she's hanging out she's like dad I'm hungry and I'm like okay she goes there's this really great place that I want to I want you to order me a pizza from and I'm like okay so I'm not going to mention the name of the restaurant so don't even ask me but it's this really great this is really great pizza place and I want you to order a pizza from there for me and I'm like okay fine no problem so um, I'm in the middle of work. I'm trying to write the newsletter and some other stuff, get it out for the weekend. And so I get on DoorDash, and I order a pizza, right? So I order a large pizza because my wife will want some, and I'll eat some, right? So or a large pizza and, like, two salads. And so the pizza is, like, 25 bucks. So – and that's been a while since I've ordered anything online, but mm-hmm. – I'm like, okay, inflation, I got it, right? So order the pizza, and then, of course, tip and delivery, right? So it, it turns out to be, you know, not a cheap tab for dinner, which I'm not real thrilled about to start with. So I'm I'm not already in a good mood. So DoorDash arrives, and, and normally, I don't know about y'all, um, but normally they come up, they ring the doorbell, knock on the door, whatever. And even if they're going to leave it at the front door, they generally notify you that they're there. So... Time goes by and nothing. And so I go look out the front door, and sure enough, there's the pizza and two salads sitting on the porch. Okay, no problem. Pick it up, I bring it aside. Now I know why they didn't ring the doorbell. Because apparently they dropped the box on the way because the pizza is all in one side of the box and completely mashed up entirely. I mean, it's completely unedible. I mean, this is a, such a bad situation. I mean, you could just call it, what do they call it when they fold the pizza in half um, a sandwich no it's not a sandwich there's a, a hero come on you're not italian food not head they take the <laughs> uh, stromboli i had no idea i thought that was a the thing they do at the at the ice rink <laughs> no <laughs> so anyway no it's a calzone sorry it's a calzone oh okay yeah all right so i'm sure our chat's helping you I'm, out right now yeah um but anyway so but it, it wasn't that pretty. So anyway, that's that's all right. So I call the restaurant, and I'm like, hey, look. Um, I get this nice young girl on the on the phone, and and she's like, hi, can I help you? I say, hey, look, I just ordered this pizza. got here. Apparently, the driver dropped it, um, and it, it's not edible. And so I'm expecting her to say, no problem. We'll send you another one. No. She goes, I can't help you. That's a DoorDash issue. And I'm like excuse me, shows you yeah, you'll have to call customer support at DoorDash to fix the problem. It's out of our hands. I'm like, okay. Well, there you can't call customer support at DoorDash. You have to do a live chat with an AI. So it's not live. You're talking to an AI. And finally, I explain my problem to the AI. AI says, let me get you to a live representative, which I'm sure is just another AI. <laughs> but... <laughs> No problem. Put you on with another AI. So I now have to wait like three and a half, four, five minutes. You know, I'm sitting there with my phone in my hand, waiting for somebody to respond to the chat. So now I've already input a picture of the of, of the pizza. I've already explained my situation to the AI. So now I get the live person and they're like, okay, what's your problem? So I explain it again. Could you submit a picture? I send the picture. And like, oh yeah, that's terrible. I can offer you $10. As a credit for your next order. I'm like, well, what about this order? I've spent $25 on this pizza that to feed my family that I cannot feed my family with. Oh, we can't help you. We can only give you $10. That's our policy. I say, fine, give me the $10 and I will never use your app again. Click, right? So I got my $10 credit. Not going to do me any good because... I got $10 back on my credit card. I'm still out 15 bucks for the food. So I call the restaurant back, and the same little young girl answers, and I said, look, I'm not mad at you. I said, don't take what I'm about to say wrong. I said, but I'm just informing you that when I go through DoorDash – They will only give me $10 back on my pizza. I will never eat at your restaurant again. This was my first time to use your restaurant. Because of this experience, I will never use your restaurant again. And she's like, sir, I don't understand that. But i tell you what, we're really busy and we don't have delivery drivers. That's why we use DoorDash. But if you'll come down here, I will give you another pizza. I'm like, no problem. Now, my daughter didn't tell me that this was a 25-minute drive from my house. <laughs> so I drive down there. I get there. They do give me a brand-new pizza. So this is good. I now have 10. Now, I don't want you to do the math with me, ladies and gentlemen. I now have a $25 pizza and $10. I'm up on this game. Drive all the way back home. It has now been a solid hour and a half <laughs> since all this started actually approaching two hours by the time all this is done so i lost money on this deal if you factor in my time driving all this i lost money but i did wind up with a 25 dollar pizza and 10 dollars. but i'm just telling you now that this is a problem that you know it's interesting when i talk to my kids about you know life back in the old world <laughs> in the 80s <laughs> in the 1900s You know, we had a thing called customer service. And this is the problem with all these apps and stuff is that there is no such a thing as customer service anymore. And, you know, if you're running a business, you know, the one thing that is going to separate you from your competition is providing a better level of human interaction and customer service. All these apps are great until there's a problem. And if you want to lose customers really quickly... Have bad customer service because that's the when somebody has a problem, and this is you know this has been our policy for a long time is that if you send an email, I answer every email every day before I go before I go to bed. So you may get an email at 4:30 in the morning, but you'll get an email back because the reason is always the case is that if I call my bank and I can't talk to somebody, I've got if I have to call my bank, I've got a problem, right? And if I'm calling my bank or if I'm calling my auto mechanic or whatever it is, you know, I've got a problem and I need a, I need a solution to my problem right now. And if I've got to wait 24, 48, 72 hours to get a response back, that's not helping me, right? So if you're running a business and you're trying to automate your business and do, you know, everything online, that's great. It's super efficient. You can certainly reduce employment by doing that. I've got no problem with it. I mean, we're always trying to figure out ways to automate more and more of our business, use technology to our advantage. But the one thing that is very important is not to lose that customer attention, that customer service. Because if you want to lose customers, you'll lose customers to your competitor that has better customer service at the end of the day. So just my rant this morning. Not that you asked for it. But I am going to change jobs though. Oh. Yeah, because I've just figured this out. This is ridiculous. Tech worker and part-time dog trainer Maddie Guy couldn't figure out what was going on with her English Spaniel, her English Spaniel, Rudder was his name. He was being snippy with other dogs and facing a medical issue so mysterious that every test had been run and a doggy MRI had been ordered. Comfort came in the form of a birthday present from friends, a phone conversation with an animal communicator. Guy, who lives in Chicago, says the communicator, while looking at a picture of of Rudder, began talking with the dog. She informed Guy that Rudder was being cautious with other dogs because he wasn't sure he could trust his front legs. Several months later, Rudder's front legs started wobbling and his eyes looked goofy. Guy remembered the conversation, called the vet, and the vet wasn't phased, saying that other clients had referenced animal communicators before. So being an animal communicator is now my next job because this lady charges550 dollars for 90 minutes and has a wait list of 7600 people so wow <laughs> you figure you can do you know hour and a half and I think I could cut that back. I could probably do it in 60 minutes 30 charge 500 bucks yeah. do it in 60 minutes. Mm-hmm. Right. Eight hours a day. That's not bad money. Lance Roberts, pet whisperer. Exactly. This is what I'm thinking. This is going to be my new job. Send me a picture of your dog (laughs) and I will tell you what your dog is thinking. And for five hundred dollars, I'll do it cheaper than this lady. I'll do it for five hundred bucks. I'll give you 60 minutes on the phone with me to talk about your dog. Cool. (laughs) Uh, this is, uh, this is where we're headed to as a society, ladies and gentlemen, dog walkers and pet whisperers and chat, <laughs> chat AI. Exactly. Well, and again, you know, how long is it until somebody figures this job out, creates an AI service that is just doing this and you've got everybody calling for a hundred dollars a minute and you know. Having an AI diagnose your dog, and what about cats? Oh, that's a whole other kettle of fish. That's a whole other kettle of cats. That that conversation is always the same. Nothing wrong with your cat, ma'am. Cat just wants to kill you. <laughs> it's a cat. <laughs> All right. Completely wasted that segment. <laughs> Look, uh, we'll be back tomorrow. Uh, we we'll pick up on. Kind of where the markets are. Markets are kind of opening flat-ish this morning. So, again, we'll kind of see how this goes right now. The bullish trend is in place. So just allow that to work for you at the moment. Rebalance risk accordingly. Um, And we'll we'll see where we go to from here. Uh, Meantime, get by the website, realinvestmentadvice.com. Our latest newsletter is out. Of course, our podcast, more, all at the website, realinvestmentadvice.com. We'll see you back here tomorrow.